0: bizarre experience, just standing or waiting on a street and someone is, uh, you hear one side of a conversation and you're kind of like really curious about what's going on. Does that happen to you? Where well, you think, I wonder what the other person is saying or I wonder what their response is or I wonder why this is happening. Uh, I was trying to think of an example, and, and the the one that kind of immediately came to mind was was when I was kind of quite a lot uh, younger. I was doing some backpacking and traveling, and I was staying in a hotel in Nairobi. It was a little bit of a of a dive, actually. There were a lot of cockroaches lurking, and the walls were quite thin. and It was in a rough end of, of Nairobi, and um, it was kind of one of those places backpackers backpackers go to because it, it was cheap, and. Uh, I was was, uh, traveling with a friend and we were in a little hotel room. We'd gone to sleep. It was quite hot and uh, we'd got our mosquito nets and all that up. And about two in the morning, we were woken up by a blazing row in the next room. Well, we think it was the next room because it was so loud, but we could only hear the guy and we presume there was a woman in the room and I'm editing the content of what was being said quite a lot. But essentially, all we could hear was, why Susie, why? Kind of in various iterations of like, why Susie, why would you do this? And we were like, and it was, there was quite a lot of noise and things were banging and there was some tears, a lot of shouting. And it went on for quite a long time. And it was kind of like, do we just get up and go knock on the door? But it was really animated. And for quite a lot of that half an hour, we're thinking, what on earth has happened? she didn't say anything we were kind of hearing one side of the conversation and we kind of like what what do you think what do you think's going on should we intervene why is this happen well it, we kind of discovered when things calm down and if this is the, the only thing you remember of my sermon i'm really sorry <laughs> But it sounded like Susie had tried to run over the bloke who was really cross. And he was really cross saying, why, Susie? Why do you try to run over? And it sounded like he'd hung on the bonnet and she'd accelerated. <laughs> I mean, we finally began to hear, but we were really curious about what happened. Why, Susie? Sometimes in, in the letters, the epistles, particularly in Corinthians... It's a little bit like that. We're hearing one side of a conversation. We're reading Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. There were uh, other correspondence that he wrote that we haven't had, uh, kind of preserved for us. But we have had the first, uh, first Corinthians. And Paul is writing to a church that he knows. We open the series and Philip reminds us of the story of, of how Paul happened to be there. It's told in Acts. And Paul knows that church well. He's served there. He knows some of the characters and then he's moved on in, uh, in his call and his, his desire to, to reach places that others haven't reached for Jesus but he also, because he loves his church, he loves the people of God, that he's, he hears what's happening. There are people coming and going in, the, in that kind of part of the New Testament world. And uh, he hears that there are problems and there are issues. That there are, there are circumstances and situations which we kind of read and go, what is going on in that church? Why, Corinthians, why? And as such, we, we want to pick up in chapter 2, Philip um, uh, kind of uh, spoke really well uh, on wisdom and, and, um, and of, of the Spirit last week, but I just want to kind of uh, take the end of, of this chapter as well. So we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 2 uh, and uh, then continue to chapter 3, verse 4. So follow us as we have on the screen. Really, really encourage you, if you have a Bible in any format Uh, In any mode of having paper or digital, please do hold that open as we work through it. So Paul writes to this church, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Exclaiming, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So in this text, we're, we're kind of hearing this side of a conversation that Paul is speaking into. He's well aware of the church. He knows it. He's well aware of the culture in which the, Christian, the, the Christians from a Jewish background and a Gentile background have been drawn out of in southern Greece. He understands what's going on. And he is seeking... To write to them, because as they have formed a worshipping community full of life and full of vibrancy in many ways, there are also some deep fractures in their fellowship, as we will begin to see. As we've already heard about in First Corinthians, that he's introduced in chapter 1 saying, well, some of you are saying, I follow Apollos. Some of you are saying, I follow Cephas, another the Greek name for Peter, or I uh, follow Christ, or I follow Paul. There's kind of factional divisions going on and then he's going to come back to that in chapter 3 uh, at verse 5 and following. We've already had a little bit of a note of that in verse 4 for when one says I follow Paul another I follow Apollos. He's coming back to that theme. But he's really focusing on to some key issues. He's talking about the foolishness of God in the world term actually being the strength of God that human wisdom doesn't amount to much when compared to the Lord. And then he starts to elaborate a little bit and draw the contrast between wisdom and the spirit. I don't know if you noticed the shift that he had. He starts off as Philip was uh, preaching last week. Uh, he says, we, we, however, we speak a, a message of wisdom among uh, the mature. He's talked about wisdom all the way through chapter one and, and into chapter two, but then shifts somewhat into talking about the spirit that the spirit knows they are in our inmost thoughts and as such so does the spirit of god and he he has that rather complicated uh, deep little section that we've just read and remember one of the th- if you've if you've ever studied a bit of philosophy please don't turn off at this point thinking "Ooh, philosophy wisdom love of wisdom that's what the word means you remember that, that Greece was one of those places where a great deal of thought from philosophers, called ancient philosophers, but still has an effect today. You've probably heard of Aristotle, some of you, and Plato, yeah, amongst others. And they, they were kind of really pioneering thinkers and there was lots of, of stuff being written. I mean, you've, if you've ever sort of followed the new Avengers or the Avengers movies and, and about these gods that appear and superheroes, Alan's well up on it. He can tell you all about it. He told me this week uh, that, that there's kind of like these, these super spiritual gods and they live on Mount Olympus and do, do all their, their things. And then they kind of realized that was as, as history progressed that, that actually it was all a little bit. Weird, and Plato came up with with um, some great thinking. Uh, I happen to think he didn't get it right, but he was very pioneering in his thinking and used wisdom, used logic, used thought to start to talk about perfect forms. And as such, in the Greek culture of which Corinth was located, wisdom meant an awful lot of how deeply you would think, how uh, much you had studied under influential people, of how you could grasp universal truths by that deep exploration of thinking. And there was kind of schools of philosophers in Alexandria, but also in Greece, of people, pioneers of of these great thinkers. And people go, if we go to them... They will help us understand what it is about, the keys to life and living. They will give the insight. Maybe we'll have to pay them some money in order for us to get their podcasts and their blogs and their their wonderful resources because they're not freely available. They had to gain special knowledge through these special people. And it seems to be that Paul is wanting to counter that mindset that says, don't think you only get wisdom, insights, truth from the very special ones. It's quite contemporary for us. If, if I was talking to our youth, and maybe some of you, if you have a social media profile, who do you follow? It's really interesting that if you have millions of followers, you get to be called an influencer. A cultural influencer. Why? Because depending on what they are talking about, they influence, they, they help people work out how to live. Whether it's to do with household cleaning or makeup, I don't follow any of those. Just to say, if you think, how does he know about that? I listen to radio sometimes. There are people who have a profound influence and they seem to be known as really smart whether that's the Oprah Winfrey's or the Richard Dawkins they have great brains and they can tell us how it is but Paul wants to change the understanding and says actually we have the mind of Christ hello very attentive to what I'm saying We have the mind of Christ that is far better, wiser, influencing not just a small part of the world, but the whole of the cosmos. We have the mind of Christ. Why? How? Through the Holy Spirit. That's astonishing. That in comparison, when he speaks about the power of God and the wisdom of God is far in excess of anything that the world could present. How wonderful and what a privilege it is for every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ to have the one spirit who gives access to the mind of Christ. We're not fumbling around, caught in the darkness, thinking, how do we work it out? We are given the very Spirit who searches the heart and and the mind of the Father and the Son and communicates to that. Isn't that amazing? In every situation and circumstance of life, not just in Corinth, but of the here and now, through the word of Scripture and the inspiration of the Spirit, we have... Can know the mind of Christ. Awesome. Astonishing. Life-changing. But he roots it. Really centrally and firmly. At the heart of the matter. And he locates that in Jesus. And the cross. You heard it in, in chapter 2. He says, I, I resolved to know nothing, verse 2, while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And still that's the scandal. Still that's the shock. Still that is the most astonishing revelation. You wouldn't get there by human logic. That our society celebrates the strong and the perfect And the ideal. Doesn't it? Go to a gallery in London and look at what they carved in Greece. And through the ages. And it's always some young thing perfectly formed. Not someone marred and disfigured. And broken. But through Christ who is marred and disfigured. And broken and rejected and sidelined. And spat upon comes the greatest revelation and power and uh, and rescue that still is powerfully effective. We preach Christ crucified. In other words, Paul is saying in, in this desire to know more, we never move on from the cross of Christ. In other words, we don't graduate it, we don't kind of say, well, that's uh, Christianity 101 and now we move on to the charismatic stuff and we're, we're really into the Spirit. And he kind of goes into some great teaching in, the, in, in his letter about what it means to be gifted in the Spirit, what it means to be uh, a prophetic one, what it means to, to how to act in worship and be, uh, be full of the Spirit. And in, right in the middle of those chapters 12 and 14, he's filled and embodied in Jesus Christ. We never move on from the cross because it is the mystery of God. The thing that people have longed to know, how can this work? And God says, here, look at the cross. We only move into a more profound understanding of God when we see it through the lens of this most clear revelation of the Father's heart through Jesus Christ, crucified as the atonement. To those who spend their time and their whole days poring over books and logic. Uh-huh. But he's already said, you know, not many of you were noble birth and and the elite intellectually or even in society. But the revelation of God has come to you. The mystery of the ages given to us. The gift of God to say, you don't find this by screwing up your face and thinking really hard for a long time and studying for years to get degrees and degrees. This mystery comes as the spirit draws close. Speaks to your spirit. And reveals this profound, wonderful truth of the Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I want you just I want us just to notice one or one or two things as we think upon that. In all our theology and thinking, the cross really matters. If you read through Paul, it's always there. The shadow of the cross, the the imprint of the cross, the the understanding and the outworking. In many ways, the epistles upon which reading are extended commentaries on on worshipping Jesus and saying... Look at the Savior and Lord and now we're beginning to understand how that works out in terms of marriage and and, and family and work. And and how that works in our corporate time of worship and and what it means about the end of of days and how we relate to governance and, and, and rulers and authorities and those who persecute us. It's all kind of in the light of this, of who we are now because of that great intervention of Jesus. I want you to just notice a a couple of really profound things. In in verse 6 and and onwards, Paul changes his pronouns. He moves from, I came to you, and starts to to speak in verse 6 of, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. And all the way through this passage until chapter 3, he changes and speaks in the... The plural pronoun, we. He's wanting to say to them, he's the apostle, he's the one, I mean, the great Paul in all these learned writings. Uh, you know, the, the Romans and, and Galatians can stretch your mind and, and even some of the passages that we're just considering this morning and um, in, in uh, chapter 2. And later in in chapter 15, some really deep thoughts. Paul is saying, it's not just because I've been gifted with a great intellect, though he has, and he's studied under an amazing um, uh, um, uh, Pharisee, Gamaliel. He's learned a lot about the Hebrew Scripture. He said, actually, it's we together. That through Christ we're given the one Spirit. That through together we find out about God. It's not just as about as, as individuals. That's really important that we have the mind of Christ as individuals. But actually we have the mind of Christ. In other words, church in Corinth, church in in Camden, we have the mind of Christ. Sometimes we read it so lens through it, the me, the I, the myself. It's about me and my personal relationship with God. And that is really a priority but so much of the epistles, and explicitly here, he's saying it's us together. It's we. It's we. And this is really, really important. Particularly when he's challenging the, 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 um, the particular issue in these opening things of, of who are you following? Is it Apollos or Paul. He gets to that in chapter 3. Cephas and Christ have dropped out of the picture. I think he's, he's saying, there's, there's, do you follow this apostle, this super apostle, who may be a really good preacher and, and charismatic uh, rhetorician, who, who is impressive to behold and, and cool to hang out with? Wow, Apollos, he's the one who's really kind of like... Got it, and he's got the book deals, and the uh, you know he's got loads of people wanting to book him in as a speaker. Or Paul, who's small in stature and probably needs thicker glasses than I'm having to start wearing now. And he's the you know, and Paul probably has some sort of speech impediment. He possibly uh, that he's not a great, he doesn't kind of draw the crowds. He's difficult to listen to, but people recognise, well, he's amazing. We should follow him. And there's kind of fracture lines in the church. But he says it's not about the human leaders. It's about Jesus. Don't divide yourself up over over sort of shallow things or or things that actually aren't of great import. We come to the cross. It's about Jesus. He's saying to them, wisdom and spiritual insight is not just about going to the elite and the special knowledge, but about what God is doing to us. It's given to us by God, special revelation from God, but not to the few, to us all. We, us, together. It's really important uh, that we preach the word in the church, and sometimes you think, well, I wish they'd be shorter about it. I just noticed the clock. But we really encourage not only personal Bible study, vital, but actually to do this together. To say, what does that mean? Can I draw from your insight and understanding? Not saying that you've got the the secret keys to knowledge, but saying, how does this work? I was talking with someone just this week, and they got some really important questions, and they, they didn't know where they could turn to ask. So it was like, actually, that dialogue, that talking through reading Scripture Together in discovering, of bringing in different perspectives. And we've learned so much about this recently. The importance, not just of, uh, of white intellectual, kind of lawyer theologians over much of church history, though their insights have been brilliant, but of what's the perspective of women who also bear the image of God and their understanding of the scriptures, of, of not just the Western hemisphere. Uh, where so much of the the history of our church has been based and formed. But what, what do African theologians say? What's the insight that we glean from South America or Asia who read the same scriptures in the same inspired spirit, but maybe see something we've missed? We together. Really important that those who've journeyed for a long time are encouraged by fresh insights from youth, but also that those who are new in faith, the young, the immature, learn from the great treasury that is residing amongst us with us to share what we know. Because the lesson of this text is that it's so easily fractured. It's so easy for people to gather a group and say, it's all about this one issue. It's all about this thing that is the major issue. Let's throw all our eggs into that basket and all our effort into this one thing and and kind of become unbiased and, and uh, uh, and overbalanced about a single issue. I mean, you can think about it if you've been around the church long enough. That that there's kind of been phases over church history where everything has been thrown into this is the the thing that will achieve revival. This is the thing that will renew our church. This new model, this new initiative, this new best thing. If only we'd adopt the South American cell model or G12 or. Actually, it's not becoming one-trick ponies. Paul is saying, hold to the whole of Scripture. I don't know if you noticed, but one of the things Phil and I do as we preach is very often, the majority of the time, we preach through letters in the Bible, books of the Bible. Have you noticed that? Occasionally we do thematic stuff, the hard sayings of Jesus and, and the like, but very much... We focus on a text, a book, and we work through it. And you go, we're still in that a year on? Why we do that is because it forces us to preach the whole of it. It forces us to not just choose the themes and the ideas upon which we know we've got a kind of experience and a confidence. And it's uh, something that we're particularly passionate about. Actually, it causes us to deal with the stuff that we kind of go, oh, really? Really? You know, we're going to get to some of that soon in in Corinthians, read ahead. How are we going to deal with sleeping with your mother-in-law? I mean, that's a big one. Of what about food sacrificed to idols? Of what about, do we sue our brothers and sisters? But we preach through these because we want to equip all of us Ourselves included as we prepare, but the we as a church, the whole counsel of God. And try to be as unbiased as possible from old and new. I'd just say a couple of things about this we. I think it's really important in church that we're able to ask questions if you ever find yourself in a context where you approach someone, you kind of think, "How does this work?" And you approach someone to ask someone about it, and they say, "You can't ask these questions." I remember being in a, a young adults uh, group a, a number of years ago, and, and Abby's here actually, and um, not here; she's out with the Hannah. But she she got kind of told by one church, "Stop asking so many questions." She's a solicitor; that's what she does. But she kind of came again and again as she was seeking faith with the questions and and turned it from angle to angle. And and lots of people have said to her, just stop with the questions. Just just accept it. And I said to her, I'm really sorry people have said that to you. Ask questions. Because God wants us to understand as best we can. And there will still be mystery and there will still be faith needed. But... So often, these people who promote themselves as gurus or spiritual leaders actually don't want to be critiqued. They want just you to follow. But it's okay to ask. It's okay to seek, to say, well, how does this scripture relate to that? How does this work in the context of that? Because the gospel is robust. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It won't be surpassed or supplanted. It stands for 2,000 years and more and will always stand. I have every confidence in that. It's okay to ask and question. We have the mind of Christ together. That We're given the gift of the Spirit and that Spirit enables us to go forward. And it's very real about how we do that together. What does the mind of Christ look like? Well, lots of things we could say, but I found it really helpful to think about Paul's teaching to the Philippians in chapter 2, where he talks about, uh, um, he says in verse um, verse 4, or let's pick up in verse three, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God didn't consider with God something to be grasped or used to his advantage. In other words, Paul is saying, this is how we are to be together. We called and we have the spirit who enables us to know and hear from and discover how to to apply these eternal things into our lives and context we do that together as a church family as well as as seeking that ourselves but we do it with humility you see the constant use of this first plural we is deliberate even the newest and and most kind of green believer, has the ability to commune with God, to hear and discover and see and perceive and understand just by trusting, by reading the Scriptures inspired by the Spirit. As one commentator put, it's deeply ironic that the generation, us, with the greatest number of accurate and understandable translations of the Bible... We have easy access to commentaries and Google can direct us to so much. Is sadly one of the most biblically illiterate societies in the history of the church. We're given wonderfully the Spirit who leads us into wisdom. Wisdom and insight flourishes. In the spirit. Let's pray.